So, Nick, tell me about the first camera you built or modified or changed. Well, I had this Lomography Bel Air that I really wanted to work with the uh, wide format. You can do a 6x12 negative with that camera. Um, but I wasn't very happy with the lenses that came with it. Yeah, so neither was I. <laughs> yeah. So I found I had found a broken Voigtlander, an early BESA model, and it had a working lens and shutter, but the body was broken beyond repair. So I took that lens and mounted it on the Voigtlander, I mean on the uh, Bel Air, took a little shimming to get it to focus right, but it was a much better lens. And then over time, I figured out that the film flatness was a problem on the Bel Air, but I discovered a Lomography back that you could mount on it that took 35 millimeters. So I ended up with a really wide, wide, wide 35 millimeter panorama camera with a decent lens that really enjoy using it. It's kind of, uh, kind of fun. And, and with the, with that one is the 35 millimeter frame, uh, like a normal, uh, 36 by 24, uh, millimeter frame. No, no, no. Or was it, it's the 12 centimeters. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It uses the full width. And luckily the old six by nine Bessa had a, you know, enough of an image circle to cover that. Oh yeah. And that was what I was There isn't even any vignetting. It's actually surprisingly good. Wow. uh, Okay. The other thing that's great about it is that, that what I like about the Lomography camera is that it's an old folding camera style, but it has a light meter built into it, an automatic light meter. So uh, yeah, I think it's one of those old Cosinas. Um, uh, I, I have a bunch of Cosina cameras. Uh, I have a, uh, you know, the new version of the Voigtlander Bessa, you know, the little, um, no, like this copy. one is not, this is not, this is a Bel Air is a, is a Lomography from scratch plastic camera. It, it has, yeah, it's not a, okay. anything to do with Cosina have made it. It wouldn't have needed any modification. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But uh, but it came out great because not only does it have the automatic uh, functionality, but I can also put the Lomo, Lomo camera on bulb and use the manual shutter on the Voigtlander lens so I can use it in full manual mode as well. So it's actually oh, okay. made it into a much more versatile camera. Okay. Oh, I can understand that. My first build, uh, my first camera that I ever built was way back um in junior high um and i'll and i'll tell you um and it's it goes far enough back that i call it junior high and not middle school which is you know something to tell you i was in a kind of an alternative uh middle school and of junior high and the i i had the same teacher for three years running um and it was I, i thought it was a really good situation uh you know built up rapport and uh i had the same classmates you know most of that time but we had a dark room in the room. Um, there was a, like a sink area in the back. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the teacher built a plywood platform. And so there, there was like this platform up above the dark room where you could go hang out. Um, and then there was this dark room. In that class, we built pinholes, you know, like the, the classic um, uh, pinhole made out of the oatmeal can. Um Except we did them with these paper tubes that he had gotten. So it was about, about the same size. And we would, we would take a four by five sheet of paper and cut it down and put it in one end. And on the other end, we would have our, you know, tape over a pinhole. And I don't, I don't remember making the pinhole. So I, I think he must have supplied those. Um, but you know, it was, it, 
would give us a paper negative. And uh, then we would go in and print it, contact print it for a paper positive. And it was a, it was a round circle image. Um, and it, I will say it was cool, but it wasn't the most satisfying, uh, camera build that I'd ever, uh, that I've ever done. Uh, just simply because that the output, uh, paper negatives are, are kind of fuzzy, but they mm. are, um, uh, but they're also, um, you don't get a lot of detail. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't exactly, it didn't give me like that real big charge, but here's the thing that it did do is it taught me to make a pinhole camera and really seriously. Um, uh, that was, you know, 1979, 80, that time, that time frame, And I've been making pinhole cameras ever since. In fact, I've probably got five of them within arm's reach of me right now that I've built. So I, I've been, I've been hooked. I've been doing it all forever. Now what's different is now I start to do it with, with real cameras. Uh, and that's what I've, that's the big change. So that's what we're about, right? Yeah. The reason that I make cameras is because I can't get hold of a camera that will do what I want. Right. I can't afford it. One or the other, either it doesn't <laughs> exist or I can't afford it. And right. that's why I make them. Although there's certain satisfaction in it, it's really the fundamental reason is just because I, I want more cameras. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that I have on my build list is, um, you know, some version of uh, X-Pan, you know, a 35 millimeter wide panoramic camera with a really good lens. That's um, an that's the perfect example of the camera I can't afford and dearly want. Yes, absolutely. So, so the whole thing about the X-Pan is that 35 millimeter frame, um, that's masked. I mean, we can do, you know, it's, it's really easy to do the 35 millimeter, you know, wide, uh, pinhole camera, uh, made with a box that, you know, shoots over the sprockets and, and, you mm -hmm. know, has low quality. But what I want is that really good quality. Exactly. So that's, that's where, um, that, that's a build that I'm, I'm going to make, uh, one of these days. So we've, uh, we've introduced ourselves. We've, uh, talked a little bit about our, uh, why we do this. So let's go ahead and start the show. on your Flickr stream not I don't know, a while back now. I think you called it Frankenbessa. Frankenbessa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The Frankenbessa. Was that the first kind of real camera that you made? Uh, yeah, it, it's the first lensed camera um, that I've made. Uh, you know, the first camera that I've made that has, uh, you know, some sort of camera body and a lens uh, on it. And uh, as opposed to pinholes, uh, I've been working and modifying, uh, pinholes forever. Uh, here's, here's where the, here's where this came in. Um, I have, I had been over the, about the last two years before I started making the Bessa, which was about six months ago. 
I had been making pinhole cameras out of wood. And in fact, I started to amass a lot of wood uh, working tools. I got a a router, a table router um, from Harbor Freight for as cheap as I possibly could. You know, a table router nonetheless, um, I, you know, a planer, a hand planer, but a, a, a powered planer. I, you know, I've been, been amassing some tools and I had been building these these pinhole cameras and there, I kept running into a, a, a couple of problems. Um, one of the problems that I kept running into is uh, transport of film. And uh, the whole knob and the turning knob and getting it light tight in that area um, and making sure that I have something that won't break, you know, if the film hitches a little bit, won't break. That's still that's still kind of a, uh, a big problem that I that I have when I'm uh, working with cameras. So I I saw this Kickstarter. Um, uh, it was a Kickstarter for a camera called the K-Pan. Uh, did you see that, Nick? The the K-Pan? Yeah, I think I, I think I looked at it. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh it was I don't a, remember it very well. Um it was uh basically a six by twelve 3D printed body um that was made for Schneider and Fuji four by five view camera lenses. Okay. So mm-hmm. uh I started looking looking into it, um and the K Pan or the, the, the Kickstarter never made. But I kept watching the video, and the video had a couple of features that I really liked. One of them was uh, uh, what looked like a really good film transport system with two knobs, so you could move forward and backward. And the because I constantly overshoot that number, and then I get conjoined frames, and it's a, a you know a, a pain. Um, right. So uh, so I was really really taken by by this by this camera, and one of the things about that camera is that it is it was made out of printed nylon and nylon is a good material and it has a good resistance you know you take make it out of abs plastic and you, you drop it once and you're building a new one you know you're buying a new one the nylon has a good resistance so i so i was really taken by that and i and i backed it um i never ended you know didn't have to end up paying any money cuz it didn't make but i started thinking about that film transport system and I started thinking about the whole idea that there are these big six by nine folding cameras. These six by nine folding cameras are, you know, they're available. They're cheap. They're relatively cheap. Um, a lot of them have torn bellows and, you know, they're on sale on eBay for, for almost nothing. So I started to think, okay, so if I tear the bellows off, I can make a little lens cone. I can make a lens riser. It's not a cone because it ends up being more like a pyramid. It's a pyramid. Yeah, right, exactly. But it's a lens cone, right? Okay. So, I'll use the lens cone uh uh term term for that. That solves my biggest problem, the the film transport issue. So, I ordered one on eBay. Um it looked pretty pretty beat up. And the great thing is that when when I got it, it came with a 645 film mask. And it has and it's a really um sophisticated system where um when the film mask is in it will open the 645 window and when when it's not in it'll only open the 6x9 window which is you know really cool that was a voigtlander wasn't it those yes. are really el- elegant oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah oh yeah absolutely and that was that was uh i've seen that on ebay by the way for 85 bucks just that mask so so i bought this camera it was about 30 bucks and i started looking and i started looking around for lenses 
And I came up with a Schneider Kreuznach. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that half good enough properly. For me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a super angulon 65 millimeter F18 or F8. So mm-hmm. it, it, it is, you know, it's got a very small maximum aperture and aperture aperture. And it's, but it's a, a tiny little lens. I, I came across a couple of different examples of, of some, some builds some other people had done. So I, I looked around and I thought, you know, I could get some metal. And this is actually where you came in. Cause I, cause we were chatting about this a little bit at that time and I was explaining it, um, uh, via email, uh, what I was, what I wanted to do. And, um, I was going to get some really thin sheet steel and that was when you jumped in and said, um, uh, aluminum's the way to go because I can use my woodworking tools. Right. And uh, that was pretty cool. So, Plus, you live in a humid area. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, we, we don't want it to rust immediately. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So the whole, the whole thing was I, um, I put together, I, I did some plans, and uh, I also got another piece of equipment. Um, I got a, uh, helicoid, uh, and in fact, it's a, an M42 to M42 helicoid. It was one that would, uh, I don't know. I think it, I think it, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially macro. It, uh, it's about a 50, it'll go from about 14 millimeters to about 50 millimeters. So basically what you're saying, uh, helicoid put too much distance between the lens and the film plane. So you were unable to get all the way into infinity focus is that right that that actually did uh did happen later on but the the what i the thing was i ordered the schneider lens and the schneider lens came late it was it was late in the mail so i had this other lens i had a graflex trioptar uh which is 103 millimeter f4.5 uh triple and uh a triplet excuse me and i put that on the end and I had this little tiny pyramidic lens cone that I built out of aluminum using, you know, basically the Pythagorean theorem, right? You know, uh, the A squared, uh, B squared equals C squared uh, to figure out how far up I should make it and what angles I should make it. So I built that and I put this lens on and it was, yeah, it was about three feet too far away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the good news is you, you don't want, okay, so with lenses... Um, you know, the basic concept of a lens, when you focus it, it has a point at which it will focus to infinity, right? Okay. And that point at which you focus to infinity, if you move it closer, it focuses further from infinity. If you move it further away, it actually starts focusing closer than infinity. Mm -hmm. So the, the big thing is, at least I had something that I could focus something on, but it was, you know, about six inches in front of the lens was yeah so you had a macro only camera right Right, exactly so uh so i decided not to go with that and that was about the time we were discussing something else and i don't remember what we were discussing but you talked about the hyperfocal do you want to do you want to explain it sure so what what i was getting at was that if you want to make uh a camera that doesn't need to be focused so that your lens can be fixed um, you just plan on stopping it down to a small enough aperture that you'll have enough depth of field um, that you'll have everything in focus from infinity to as close as is practical with that lens and that setup. And 
actually it's pretty straightforward uh at a certain aperture the first point when you uh can get the camera to focus on infinity as you're focusing you know as the lens is moving closer and closer the first place where it will touch infinity um on the far will be end. At a, at, is what will be focused at a distance that is called the hyperfocal distance and then <clears throat> an equal proportion even closer than that will be in focus so let's just say you've got it camera that at f16 can be focused um let's say at, let's just make up a number let's say at 12 feet it's found its hyperfocal and that lens will then be in focus from infinity to something like six feet away from your camera and that's really great you know then you just don't have to think about focusing and it's it, it makes the camera really easy to use and doesn't have any moving parts it's easy to build and not only that but finding that distance and and uh, finding that focal length is really good for the, like these old Schneider lenses because every bit of data for these old Schneider lenses, even though this is, um, you know, I think this was built in 1975, all of that data for those Schneider lenses is available online. And, and what they'll give you is the flange distance. The flange distance, of course, is from the film plane to the back of the the lens to the point of the lens that meets metal okay that would mount to metal um and all of that's online so you just when you uh and i'll I'll tell you how i went went about finding that 12 foot mark uh, because i had no idea exactly how far from the film plane that 12 foot mark uh was i basically did this i built it to that full flange distance Oh, no, hang on a second. I built it past the flange distance by just uh, a couple of millimeters because I knew with any distance I was going to, um, uh, you know, I was anything past the flange distance, um, uh, I was going to be focusing closer than uh, infinity. Uh, so I, I did that and then I just built a couple of little spacers um, and I built them out of out of play foam. Um, uh, okay, so you you, you get you so go you used to, to try you use trial and error to figure trial it out. and error. Yes, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, there are some people who could use math. That is not me. I'm, <laughs> um, but but basically, I, I um, kept putting in another layer of this foam, and the foam is um, it's in the craft aisle. You know, you can get it like Michaels or Hobby Lobby or place like that. It's in the craft aisle and it's, um, it's about an eighth of an inch thick. And I put that on the outside, um, of the lens mount. So it had double, double duty. One of them is it would actually move that lens a little bit further out and a little bit closer to infinity. And it also, because it's foam, it makes it light tight around that, uh, around that opening. So it was, uh, it was kind of a, a, a double deal there. So I had, uh, you know, I was working with this and the way I came up with, uh, you know, measuring it was I put a little piece of ground glass right where the film sits and, and looked through it and set it to F8 and to, to time and, and, and looked through it and measured out about and it, 12 feet is a, is a good, uh, is a good range. And I made it, made it out to that. That was, uh, that was the, that was the, the, the basis of that, uh, first build. Now, when I built it with the first, 
uh, with the helicoid and the triplet lens, I went to uh, my local Ace Hardware and, and and ended up getting just this like silver, you know, aluminum colored aluminum. And one of the things that we don't want in a camera body is a reflective surface. So the plan was I was going to spray paint it black. Well, I never quite got that set up proper, uh, properly done. So what I ended up with was um, I, I went to went to Amazon and I got a a bunch of black anodized aluminum in a matte surface, and um, it was one big piece. And I've been working on it for six months, um, and uh, I, I mean I've been cutting pieces off of it for six months, and that was what I built the second uh, lens mount, the one for the Schneider lens, uh, and that worked perfectly well, but. Uh, but Nick, can you guess what my biggest problem was once I got the lens to where I, or, you know, the lens mount to where I wanted it to be, got it fo- uh, in hyperfocal distance? What would be the, the, the problem? Probably you had light leaks, I would guess. <laughs> light, light leaks are going to follow me to my grave. You know, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in there. I'm going to be in that casket and I'm going to look up and go, oh. They need some gaffer tape over that corner, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm sure you will have a homemade gaffer tape <laughs> casket. I'm, so. I'm going to put I'm going to put in my will that I'm going to be buried with gaffer tape or or, or some uh, some of that really good uh, 3M uh, purpose made uh, crepe tape. I think you sh- I think you should copy some of the famous reporters. I know there was one who was buried with it with a telephone so that she could oh, call right. in. Uh, the story at when the you know the judgment day arrived, but you should definitely be in a pinhole camera. Oh, God, that story. would be good. Yes, camera obscura. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely, right. full size. You yeah. know, well, they're bigger ones. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the van sized ones. There's the guy who made the uh, the pinhole camera out of the uh, the building that was going to be torn down in Seattle. I don't know if you if you saw anything about that. Um, oh, I missed I'll, that, I'll, and I live right. Yeah, near I'll there, get so. I'll get a link. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, that type of thing. So, so yes, I had light leak problems. So, uh, my first thing was I had, um, you know, I had what any self respecting photographer has around. I had electrical tape, you know, the plastic stretchy electrical tape, and I worked around it and took some, you know, took my first roll of film, and I had some still some light leaks. So I I ordered some gaffer tape. Uh, and gaffer tape. Now I was listening to the, to the sunny 16 podcast the other day. And I think that they, they, t- they equalized gaffers tape with, uh, duct tape. And they're, they're really two different, two different things. Uh, gaffers tape of course is, um, is a paper tape or a cloth tape, excuse me, a black cloth tape. Actually, you can get it in many different colors, but it's a black cloth tape. Duct tape is, has a glossy plastic surface, so they are they are mm-hmm. a little bit different. They're they're analogous in that they're both cloth based. So I got some some gaffers tape, some black gaffers tape, and uh, the other advantage of gaffers tape is that the glue on it is is not as noxious. Right, the duct tape leaves a residue, and gaffers tape you can put on a a nice camera, take it back off, and it it's not all gooey. But here's the thing I found out about gaffer's tape. So, so here's the deal. Okay, let let me tell you what I needed to uh, needed to shore up um, uh, from from light leaks. I built a pyramid 
out of aluminum. And that pyramid, the way you build the pyramid out of aluminum is you have a flat surface at the top in which you cut a hole. And this flat surface I, I did as a square, okay? Coming out from that, I cut pie-shaped wedges so that when I bend at the corner of that flat front area, I bend that down, then I bring those those four arms together, if that makes sense. Does that make sense to you? Yes, you're describing how you would go about making a crude robot dog not nose. <laughs> exactly. Yes, that would work. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, oh, it's, go ahead. It's a snout. A snout. A snout. Basically. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, those seams along the edges, uh, you know, I had no idea. That was what, what I used the um, electrical tape on. So I'd run an electrical tape on the inside or run electrical tape on the outside. And if you really, if you want to fog a roll of film, that works really well. However, that was not my goal. So when you put gaffer's tape on, did that solve the It solved leaks? it to a certain extent. It's The deal is that one layer of gaffer's tape is not light tight. Two hmm. layers of gaffer's tape usually is. So, so uh -huh. I would, so I had to double up on everything. And I still had a couple of places where I had some pinholes. So uh, the other thing um, that I had tried in this process was um, uh, silicone, black silicone. That had worked fairly well, but it it never... It, there are always pinholes in that black silicone. So it does most of the job. So you just have to cover up the rest of it. The next thing that I was really on a challenge for was how to mount the actual lens cone snout to the body. And um, my first attempt at that was, hmm, electrical tape, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, I, if, if you've ever shot a picture, uh, you know, been out shooting, and you've had the whole front of your camera fall off, it's probably because it's held on with electrical tape. <laughs> so... Uh, oh, as you can tell, that didn't work really well. I ended up, here's what I ended up doing was with this model. Uh, I have come up with a better, better technique later on, but this is actually just gaffer taped to the body. So the whole thing is just like one big ball of tape on the body of, you know, a folding six by 12 camera. And you somehow could still get the film back oh, yeah. open. To well, I was it. very careful on where I cut that tape. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. yeah, you're. Yeah, you can tell already that I'm the guy who does actually paint himself into the corner in the room. But I did. Uh, the the tape does end right at that edge. So I started started shooting with it, and I uh, started getting some good results. There, it still has a couple of little light leaks, and and I have not track them down because um they have a little quaintness to them they're not really interrupting they're right at the edge uh when i shoot six four five for some reason there's a little tiny right in the center of the bottom which would be the top of the of the camera when you're taking it because it you know the image flips um there is a little like vertical light leak and i have no clue where that's coming from so so i would suspect that maybe the film door 
the only part that isn't your making. Oh, that could be. It might have a little bit of a leak. No, this was made by Voigtlander when Voigtlander was Voigtlander. Well, you know, yeah, but it's, <laughs> it, it, people have been sitting on it in their back pocket for 50 years. Oh, you have a years, point right? there. So. You have a point there. This is this is not quite a camera like an RB67 where you could probably club somebody to death, but it may have been uh, with it, uh, but you, but it, it may have been something that would be, uh, yeah, could have happened. So, so I haven't quite tracked all of those down yet, uh, but I kind of, I, I kind of like the look. I was curious. You, you've described making the camera, and you've described trouble you had with it. But once it was working right, what was it like to use? The camera is, um, it's, it's got some heft to it. Um, it is. Um, a pretty substantial camera so it it does really have a a pretty good feel to it the the body is really is wide the uh the lens cone um comes out the snout um comes out uh a couple of inches from the end so there's a really nice place to for your you know to hold your your um uh, for your fingers okay uh to hold it so there are a couple of things that I I did when I was building this. Um, one of them was uh, I bought online a 65 millimeter viewfinder that was originally made for a Mamiya Press camera. So Mamiya Press, mm. you know, it's it's about the same format, and it's a 65 millimeter viewer viewfinder because I didn't know what I you know I'd be taking this picture. I've got a 65 millimeter lens on a six by nine frame i have no clue so i decided that i would would go ahead and and get that now the problem is that the camera does not have a cold shoe a hot shoe or any shoes it doesn't even have sandals it uh so on one side it has a little viewfinder which is a six by nine viewfinder but that was for the 105 millimeter lens that came on that right exactly so i knew that that wasn't going to work and and i looked at it and i figured that i could like grind it off or hack it off but i Instead, what I did was I, I got a cold shoe. I went and bought online a set of five cold shoes from from somebody on eBay and um, mounted a cold shoe to the underside of it. Now, there's nothing really to show the top or the bottom on this camera except where the viewfinder is and where the winder is. So I just essentially flipped it over and it works perfectly fine shooting upside down. So... I put the 105 viewfinder, or excuse me, the 65 millimeter viewfinder on there, and it really gives me a good idea of what I'm shooting. Um, I I connected. Okay, so here's the way these lenses work: is there's a, a cocking mechanism and then a shutter release. Okay, so they're a little bit different from, uh, you know, from a 35 millimeter camera or something where you've got that all in one motion, you know, you advance the film, cock the shutter, uh, and release it all within, you know, uh, essentially right at that top of the camera on the right side. Um, so for this, it has, um, a little trigger on the lens. Um, and that trigger, you know, uh, will release, release the shutter. Uh, but it also has a cable release. So I put a cable release on there. Uh, so I usually hold the cable release and I'm looking through and taking the picture. And it really actually is a very nice camera in the hand. Um, I, it, it's a camera that I, um, 
I I find you know there's some cameras that you don't have any infinite uh, affinity for, and this one I really ended up with uh, something that is really nice to use. The lens on the the, the quality of the lens is re- okay. So let's go back a, a little bit to purpose and and something that I didn't really I think cover quite as well. The whole purpose of this was to get that really good four by five lens on a roll film back. Um, mm-hmm. And, and really what, where I was going with that is I've stayed away from four by five. I've, I've stayed in medium format. I've stayed in one twenty, or I've stayed in one twenty. I've stayed in, in, in 35 because I don't want to buy a, a film developing tank for four by five. And I don't want a four by five and you know, I, I have to kind of limit myself. Otherwise I'll go wild. But um, yeah, I also see the the way you work. You like to walk around and oh, explore absolutely. and shoot kind of spontaneously. And you can get a roll film back for a big view camera, but they're really hard to handle in the field. You'd be lugging a big tripod and kind of right. It's, it's a very different style, right? And this is this is one that really it, it fits in the in the bag really nice and really nicely. I mean, it fits snugly in my bag, um, and so I can always have it in the bag. You know, maybe I'm shooting another camera, shooting another camera, shooting another camera. Oh, well, I'll take a six by nine, you know, take this out. Mm-hmm. And it it really, uh, it, it does, it, it, okay, so the original goal, I talked about the original, first of all, uh, you know, I just talked about the four by five lens. But I wanted a really good film transport because I'd had trouble with film transport in the past. And this works perfectly for that. Uh, it's the right size. It's, it, it, it really works uh, quite well. Now, one of the things that I will tell you, I keep talking about six by nine. I've shot way more film with the uh, six four five mask in than I have with the six by nine mask, or with or six by nine without the mask. Um, just simply because I like that format. I really like that uh, six four five format, and I feel like getting sixteen frames on a roll of film is much more economic than getting. Uh, eight frames <laughs> roll of film, so so oh, yeah. uh, so that's one of the things that that I've been doing, and I have built um some more cameras, some more uh, you know purpose size six four uh, uh yeah six four five bodies, um but that uh it, it's it is a really good camera to shoot, and I and I kind of think of it as you know of of my made cameras, it's kind of my main made camera. It's got a couple of idiosyncrasies. But it really is my main camera that's like that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's um, uh, that, that's the process that I went through uh, for that. Um, so uh, d- 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 how have you resisted uh, building a Bessa with a 65 millimeter lens uh, in, in a Franken camera? So how, how have you... <laughs> well, I'm not actually resisting. I just haven't gotten around to it. I actually have... The, the film transport from a 6x9 Bessa because that one that I described that was yeah. broken, it was the folding mechanism was broken, but the actual film transport part is fine. Yeah. So it's in it's in a big box full of things I'm going to ma- finish making into a camera someday. Uh, what I've been doing in the meantime is, is working with modular component-based homemade cameras. So instead of making cameras from scratch, as you have, I've been taking a lot of standard parts that can be connected together uh, to make sort of a system of medium and large format camera parts. 
but instead of attaching them to big view cameras or old press cameras, um, I'm using various simpler, smaller components to hook them together to make uh, similar cameras to the one you're using. Maybe a little heavier, maybe not quite as um, uh, lightweight and portable, but the advantage for me right now is I can swap parts around until I find out sure. what works best. Sure. And then, and then definitely we'll be building some more like yours in that there is something about a camera that's as small and light as it can be that's purposely built for one kind of use that really is great, especially with these large formats because it's easy for them to get heavy and bulky right. if you don't really narrow it down. And that's one of the main reasons for me to build these cameras is I like to go out in the woods and in the mountains and I want to make uh, as light and compact a camera as I can but I like big pieces. Sure, of film, sure. So no, and and that, that's and there's yeah. something really to be said for that big negative. Um, you know, even a six by nine negative it has so much space to it. Um, and, and that's what you know. Uh, these cameras, these uh, folding cameras, the you know the the Besses that we're talking about, the Voigtlander Besses are are top end of the market. But even if you go to um top end of the market at the time uh, we should say but even if you go to those box cameras the box camera concept is you know cheap lens big negative still equals an okay print mm-hmm. and you know i'm I, i'm you know i put a a really good lens on a really big negative and i get a great uh get a great result so um uh, so I use quite a few of the old folding cameras um, without modifying them. I have uh, a number of 6x6 and 6x9 cameras, and they're actually fantastic as they are, and some of them have superb lenses, especially the Voigtlanders, but they are almost all limited to a narrow range in the normal focal lengths, and that's one of the other main reasons to build my own versions because, as you did, you can go with a large format lenses. You can go into you know very wide angle or longer right. lenses. So you have a lot. Um, that whole thing opens up once you start building your own cameras because you can't simply stick a different lens on these because they all have front. Most almost all of them were front element focusing, and so the folding mechanism it had bellows but didn't allow you to focus it. Uh, by moving the lens back and forth. So basically you were limited to exactly the focal length the camera was designed right. for and nothing else. And, you know, a part of the deal when, when I was, um, I had this, I had this camera that really, you know, when I got it, it had a 60 year history, right? Um, and it, it had taken, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of rolls of film. I assume, I don't know. I don't know where, you know, who, who had it before I did, but there was something about, when I first looked at it, now the lens was gone. Um, the lens had, I don't know, it's, a, you know, it's like an eight bladed aperture. Well, seven of those blades were working really well. <laughs> and so, mm. so I got this like, you know, teardrop shaped, uh, aperture, you know, uh, but the, the shutter was off, completely off. And, and, it, but the bellows was light tight and I was <laughs> I was kind of, it was kind of like I was in high school and there was the frog and should I really kill this frog so that I can now understand what the frog is, a you know, what the anatomy of a frog is or should I let it live? And it was, and I felt kind of, uh, when I was taking that, taking it apart the first time I, it was, it, it was, 
the the folding mechanism on these folding cameras is some beautiful engineering. I was cutting it away with a with a grinder and and I was feeling bad, but you know, in the end, I probably have one of the very few six by nine cameras with a sixty five millimeter lens, and so sure. so that is kind of worth it, even though there are probably you know several million um, somewhere. Um, six by nine folding cameras with a one Oh five or thereabout. I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. I, I, out of a dozen of these folding cameras that I've found for really inexpensive or were given to me for free, only one of them had a real problems and that's the one I took. Apart. Yeah. So there's plenty that are in good shape. Yeah. Those things are really well made. And, but if, if there's one with serious mechanical problems, the chances are it's not worth restoring since you can... Right. Uh, you They're know, disposable. Uh, 11 more that are fine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I don't... I wouldn't feel too yeah, bad well, about it, that. It, it, oh. I, once I did it and, you know, got the result, you know, I'm happy that I did it. But it was... It, but there really was, you know, kind of a moral thing there uh, of not, not oh, destroying sure. uh, a really nice piece of equipment because what... You know, one of my core things with cameras is I love them as mechanical objects. I love, you know, the best of them. You know, when you wind on and you just kind of feel those gears go, um, you know, mm-hmm. and and a lot of the cameras that I use are, are you know, 40, 50 years old. And, and it's this, you know, and they've probably never been lubricated and they've never been adjusted. And they're just these incredible machines that are, that were built to shoot for a hundred years and a lot of them still will, you know? Um, so, so anyway, that was, um, that was my best build. about giving um our listeners uh a challenge yeah i think that's the thing we should talk about next um i need i need this challenge as much as any <laughs> as anybody because i'm really busy right now but i really want to be working with some projects and a lot of my uh works in progress in terms of camera design are fairly ambitious and fussy sure. and i put off working on them because i need to do a too good of a job so yeah, I think if I make a camera out of junk from around the house, I'll be freed okay. up from that. Okay, uh, so so this is going to yeah. be the opposite of you. Uh, uh, I've talked with you enough that um, that I know um, that your motto is: if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right, and it's worth doing to a high precision. Now, my motto is: if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Because <laughs> if if you if all you can do is a poor job, it's still worth doing. Right. Okay. So, uh, so this, this might be a little bit more, uh, down that end of the path. So, well, that depends. Now you, <laughs> you just described taking a precision piece of machinery and reducing it to a final Right. Job. Exactly. Exactly. And my thought is, can I make a beautiful, precise camera out of a pile of junk? <laughs> so I'm not sure we're going to see any, any person. So yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so here's the challenge. Um, the challenge is it's the garbage cam challenge. Actually, you want to go ahead and, uh, do the introduction for this since I've been talking so far. Let's just make it very simple rule that 
we should build a working camera using no actual camera parts. Anything, use things that are similar or analogous to camera parts. For instance, you can use a lens as long as it wasn't intended to be on a camera. So like old, old eyeglass lenses or, you know. Right. And the one exception would be, um, we've agreed that you, if you want to use the cartridges for roll film, uh, particularly for 35 millimeter film, you can certainly use those as part of the mechanism uh, of the camera. But yeah, just the only rule is nothing that was ever part of a camera in the past (laughs) can be used. (laughs) So, or, you know, or an official camera. So if somebody has never done a camera build before from scratch, what would you, uh, how would you describe it? What, what, what are the components that you need? Well, so I would approach this as an, in an experimental manner. So if I found something I thought might make a lens, what I would do is I would just make a crude box you know, some sort of a cardboard box or something, stick the lens on one end. And then I want to see if I can get a focused image to be projected on a piece, a flat area, something like a piece of film. Mm -hmm. So at the other end, what I would do to substitute for film is I would just put some scotch tape across where the film. Oh, good idea. And scotch tape actually works as a ground glass and, and it will actually allow you to see an image projected by the lens and to tell if it's in focus. Or I don't, not. I don't know if you heard so, that, I mean, but you, I just hit myself on the head, <clears throat> on the forehead. What a great idea. Okay. Well, I think you made a device, something like this, um, when you were trying to figure oh, out. No, I was using for one of your devices. I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I was just talking about the morals of taking apart a, uh, um, you know, a, a folder. Uh, I have a, um, Bronica C, which is, you know, like a Hasselblad copy. And uh, I took the focusing screen out of that one because it has some other problems. So that's what I've been using as my focusing screen. But I could have just used scotch tape. <laughs> yeah, scotch tape, I use it all the time on cameras. If you want to check the, the accuracy of focus on a camera, you can just open the back, stick scotch tape right where the film goes, stretch it yeah. tight. And and if you put it right across the middle where the image is brightest, you, you can usually... You don't, you don't often can just look at it and see if right. the image is focusing right. properly. But anyway, what my idea is just that's a way that you, you want to, you want to set up your cardboard box so you can vary the length. So you could have two boxes, one sliding over the other. It doesn't need to be light tight because all you're doing is trying to like find out what distance your lens needs to be sure. from the film to get an image in focus. Uh, and anyway, that's what I do. I'd fool around with that. Now, the other alternative, if you don't have anything like a lens, is, of course, you can build a pinhole camera. And with a pinhole, the aperture is so small that you're not going to get a bright enough image to see on the scotch tape. But the beauty of a pinhole is it's always in focus, no matter how far it is from the film. There is an ideal distance, and if you look up online or find a book on it, you can calculate the ideal distance from the film for a certain size pinhole. But you can also just put any old pinhole on any old camera and it's going to make yeah uh, i'll go ahead and put a pinhole calculator um uh, in the show notes there are a couple online that i use um and so you can just put in the focal distance and you can put in and the focal distance is distance from the film to distance of where your your lens is and uh you Mm -hmm. put that in you put in the size uh the diameter of the um of the pinhole make it make it pretty pretty sharp 
Right. Well, so what I think of right away is I want to basically, I want to make a camera that allows me to test household objects for their suitability. So I'll make some kind of a box that I can change the length uh -huh. of it, some kind of way to attach on lenses. So, you know, so I can actually try different objects out, see how they work. And then, yeah, use the scotch tape to, you know, see if it's, if it's giving me an in-focus image or not. And when I like the look of it, stick some film in there and now there's shortcuts for that i mean yeah you can make a film transport device and make a proper camera but while you're just experimenting if you have some way to get complete darkness like if you have a light uh, uh changing bag or a room that's completely dark or if you can go in the bathroom and you know tape something over the window at night or whatever Actually, I heard Sunny 16, somebody just went under the covers. Sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> on their bed. <laughs> so anyway, you can get away from light. You can just stick some film or a piece of photographic paper in your camera and then close it up. And, you know, that's, it doesn't even need to have anything more sophisticated yeah. than that to try it out. So that's sort of how I approach this is I'll make something kind of simple and open-ended and fool around until I find parts that seem to work okay. well together and then make something more permanent. That's how I Yeah, okay, so here let me tell you how I'm uh how I'll I'll probably approach it. I'm going to find a box, cardboard probably. Uh it could be metal, could be plastic, could be anything. Uh it, one of the things if it's plastic, put a flashlight right up to it so make sure that it is light tight because otherwise it'll fog your film. But I'm going to find a box. I'm going to figure out how to transport the film, uh, you know, uh, wind the film on, um, and, uh, probably make a pinhole out of, uh, you know, a soda can or a beer, beer can and, and just figure the light tight box. That's going to be my biggest challenge, I think. So, <laughs> um, and, and then, and then after I've gotten that one, um, then maybe I will, uh, I'll try the lensing idea. So what, um, what I'd like to do is, start we should start a Flickr group where we can post oh, yeah. these contraptions because it's it's fun to be able to see them and also see any images that we're able to make. Yeah, so so um, here's here's my idea of this challenge is that um this is gonna take a while before us to get this available to everybody. So uh one month from the air date, uh from the open date, and we'll probably put the date right in the name of the show. We will uh one month from that is the 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 deadline and we'll start, um, featuring, yeah, we'll, we'll make a, a Flickr group and we'll start featuring the best, uh, photos from that, uh, Flickr group. So, um, what you're going to look for is we could probably name it right now. So it'll be the homemade camera podcast Flickr group. So, um, mm -hmm. that's what we'll, that's what we'll do. And, um, we will, uh, you know, and we'll show off your camera and show off the, the results of the camera we'll we'll get the best combinations uh and we'll put them up on you know we'll feature them uh on our uh on our website so uh that should also uh we should we should talk about that we do have a website that will be up the website is homemadecamera.com and uh, so that is homemadecamera.com all one word the uh we'll we'll feature it there and we'll uh we'll make comments in our Flickr group as well. Uh, oh, one of the things about this challenge, I should say, before we, uh, before we sign off, um, is, uh, this challenge, the idea of this challenge is you, you're going to build it and then, 
we're going to have a monthly shooting assignment with it. So if you uh, build one and you don't like it, um, uh, build another. Uh, that's kind of our motto, isn't it? That's kind of how we live our lives. <laughs> yeah, sure. And also, I mean, if you want to jump over this and make a, a camera out of really good parts instead of trash, that's <laughs> fine. There's nothing to stop you from from participating in any way. The idea of the challenge, though, is to encourage people to really experiment right. and, and kind of make it make it harder to <laughs> to harder to succeed because <laughs> most of the ones I build are out of really beautifully made ready-made parts that that fit together sure. perfectly <laughs> and it doesn't take any real skill to to get great results that way um also the the I think with some of the uh, experimental cameras maybe we'll discover some actually good ideas that haven't been tried before yeah absolutely so we can steal your ideas <laughs> that's this is uh, this is going to be the we, the the idea group right for us <laughs> yeah right sure i i don't i'm not worried about that at this point it's kind of like uh any anything that you want to steal your welcome right. to it right exactly <laughs> exactly so so this is uh this has been a lot of fun nick if if anybody wants to get a hold of us uh you can email us Graham at handmadecamera.com. And my name is spelled Graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, at handmadecamera.com. And we also have Nick at handmadecamera.com, N-I-C-K at handmadecamera.com. And uh, if you just, uh, if you don't want to uh, e- email one of us or the other of us directly, we also have podcast at handmadecamera.com. Uh, look for our Flickr group. You know, tell us about your tell us about your builds. Tell us about what you do with uh, with cameras. Um, and uh, we'll be back uh, with another one of these. Um, anything else to to say, Nick? Any shout outs? Any uh, anything that you want to talk about before we go? And I want to thank Robbie Cribs of Soundtrap Studios for creating the music that accompanies this podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you.